This episode of The Outside Podcast is brought to you by Eureka Springs, a one-of-a-kind destination nestled in the Ozark Mountains of Northwest Arkansas. If you haven't heard, Arkansas is emerging as an adventure hotspot. Miles of trails have been built here every week for years. And perhaps the best spot to enjoy this new energy is Eureka Springs, a town in the quirky corner of the state, surrounded by beautiful natural playgrounds. So you have all the space you need to feel safe when traveling. Take the Kings River, which flows just outside of town. This rare, undammed river beckons paddlers and even snorkelers with remarkably clear water. Then there's nearby Beaver Lake Tailwaters, where you can cast flies for trout in an often blissfully uncrowded waterway. Or head to Lake Leatherwood City Park, which offers more than 25 miles of hiking and biking trails, as well as an 85-acre spring-fed lake for water sports. Back in town, you'll find winding streets carved into rocky hillsides and lined with Victorian architecture, plus fine art galleries, unique shops, restaurants, and spas. People say the most curious things when they visit Eureka Springs. Come for yourself, and you'll find out why. Learn more at eurekasprings.org. Eureka Springs, Arkansas. Curious indeed. From Outside Magazine, this is the Outside Podcast. Just the other day, I had a conversation with my 12-year-old son, in which we more or less agreed that dad jokes are mostly terrible, but occasionally kind of awesome. At least, I think he agreed with me on that last part. Anyway, we also decided that dad's stories are basically the opposite. That is, they are mostly awesome and only occasionally terrible. This is because many dads tell tales about the adventures they had when they were younger. And those tend to be entertaining. But more importantly, when your dad shares an experience from his past, you learn something about who he is, which gives you a glimpse into where you came from. And almost nobody can resist that. This week, in the run-up to Father's Day, producer Patty O'Connell, better known as Patty O, brings us a piece that shows us just how powerful Dad's stories can be. My dad has great stories. The best. Like, way better than your dad's stories. Sorry, not trying to be rude here, but it's true. Now, just keep listening. You'll see. When I was growing up in Chicago with my sister and two brothers, my dad told us tales of his wilder days all the time. They were often hysterically funny and I think occasionally even true. But there was also something strange about his stories. Because they didn't really match with how I saw my dad. By the time I was 10, maybe younger, I pigeonholed my pop, Mike O'Connell, into a narrow life. You're a lawyer, you've worn a suit and tie every day of your life, and you've laid out every decision and action strategically in lists on yellow legal pads. You just always seemed so solid and steadfast and put together, which he was. Recently, I started talking to my dad and my siblings about this, to try to understand what all those funny stories really say about him. 
And what I discovered is that my dad really and truly did have all those adventures. And that he sought them out because he needed a heap of crazy experiences to help him become the kind of man that he wanted to be. And the kind of father he never had. First things first, can you introduce yourself? My name is Kitty O'Connell, and I am your wonderful and loving uh, younger sister. My name's Sean O'Connell. I'm uh, Patio's brother, who's uh, older and wiser and better looking. Hi, my name is Brendan O'Connell. I'm Patty's brother. <laughs> you sound so sad. <laughs> <laughs> what are some of Dad's nicknames? Well, there's Dog. Michael. Doza. Doza Boy. I mean, you, I think, call him Doza Boy the most, but I just call him Dad, the Doza Boy. Dado. I call him Mike O.C. to my kids. I loved the fact that, like, small children would refer to him as Mike O.C. I just thought that was really funny. It, is it a nickname if you, if you count uh, Michael? Yeah. <laughs> That's the classic mom delivery right there. (laughs) When you think of stories about dad, what stories come to mind? He has a lot of stories about his his childhood. He had just a a ruckus of a household. Growing up, he had this whole language that his family created. O'Connellese. Just little weird things that they would talk about, like the fash bowl, which is some weird word for where you put chicken bones and, like, scraps of inedible food. There's the famous bar fight story. Throwing a guy through a plate glass window in Fort Collins, Colorado. Our father wore a Canadian tuxedo while skiing for the first time. Was it maybe spring skiing where, like, he just wasn't used to, like, the snow and, and just completely fell and like broke his glasses and it was bleeding all over his face. Do you remember the story about like him going to Aspen and camping in like a treehouse or he was in like a V-dub bus like when it hit a horse? Have you heard any of the stories about him going to Europe after after college? He skied in Switzerland. He went to the Olympics in Innsbruck. Somebody thought he was like Mark Spitz. Yes, those are all classic and I love to like repeat those. Have you ever heard the story about him getting chased down the street in Amsterdam by a knife-wielding pimp? Yes, I just just remembered that pimp story, yes. <laughs> yes, I do remember that one. I can't remember the exact details of it. You know what? I'm more curious, or if I didn't know it, I want to know why yeah. he was chased down the street in Amsterdam by a knife-wielding pimp. I want to know why, but I also kind of don't want to know why. <laughs> <laughs> like, who is Mike O'Connell? Who am I? I am Mike O'Connell, father of four children, husband of Molly Ryan. And master of some stories. (laughs) My dad grew up in Libertyville, Illinois, a northern suburb of Chicago, five miles west of Lake Michigan, and about a 30-minute drive from the Wisconsin border. Back in the 50s, when my pop was born, Libertyville was in the middle of the post-war suburbia building boom. His family crammed into a 1,200-square-foot home, eight people in three bedrooms. Suffice to say, he spent a lot of time outside. It was almost like a gang of kids. You know, you'd have a, a group of kids in age from 7th or 8th grade to kids who were like in 4th grade or 3rd grade, all getting together and going out into the woods and playing games. You know, played baseball, played football, home run derby in the backyard, um, lots of lots of just doing things on your own because there was so much world to explore. Um, I mean, what kid wouldn't want to go tramping through a creek or a swamp or go ice skating um, for the entire day? All you had to do um, was remember or hear the the call of your parents for dinner. I mean, you might be a mile and a half away or something from, from home, 
and uh, you'd have to be listening for your call. Since the moms couldn't yell for a mile and a half, the call would be a whistle. I mean, actually a, a whistle, like a ref's whistle. So if we hear a whistle, we'd say, no, no, that's your whistle. That's not our whistle. You know, we don't have to go home. On paper, my dad's childhood was pretty idyllic, but there were some hard times too. My dad describes his father, my grandfather, as a complex figure. He was an attorney who worked long hours, but also played games with the neighborhood kids and coached some of his own children's sports teams. He had a photographic memory and voracious appetite for books and learning. But professional disappointments like being disbarred after his partner was caught stealing money from clients led to financial struggles for the family. There's a foggy memory of the heat getting turned off in the winter, and one Christmas when there wasn't enough money for presents, until my grandfather's brother saved the day. As a father, my grandpa was emotionally vacant, if not completely unavailable, and at times was physically abusive. He had these two sides of really um, being there for the kids and, you know, supporting them, but also in terms of having, hey, Dale, let's have a conversation about something that's meaningful. <laughs> he just wouldn't do it. It just wouldn't happen. Did he ever say, like, I love you? I'm proud of you? He said, I'm proud of you. He never said, I love you. He wasn't a hugger. You know, that didn't happen. My grandpa's brooding Irishness is a trait he most likely picked up from his dad, my great-grandfather, an Irish immigrant who became a captain with the Chicago Police Department. There are a few stories about him that live in family lore, like when he arrested Al Capone alone when no other cop would, and the one where he beat a man with his billy club after being shot in the back, and the shootouts with the mob, which did not end well for the bad guys. Those stories offer some helpful context for one of my dad's favorite tales, about the day my grandpa took him to the airport to fly off to his freshman year at Colorado State University. My dad had never been to Colorado before, or even seen a mountain, but CSU met his strict criteria. It had a campus that was not in the Midwest. Do you remember the Harry Krishna story? Oh my God, yes. Jim O'Connell, my our dad's dad, drops him off at the airport. You know, I'll see you, son, like getting on the plane to go to Colorado State. With a trunk of like probably four t-shirts and like a pair of jeans and what will become a ski jacket, aka a denim jacket. Dad just like embarking on this adventure with no preparation, but still doing it and making that decision. You know, waiting for the plane to, you know, board. I'm with my dad. <laughs> and and uh, we're just sitting there and I don't think we're saying much at all. And I figured, you know, hey, maybe... He's going to give me some words of wisdom, like study hard, do this, do that. All of a sudden, I hear a bunch of like little bells going off and little cymbals going off and a big crowd. And it's like a big commotion. And he sees a group of Hare Krishna's shaved heads, robes and all chanting. And there's some guy in the front who is obviously the, the leader. And they're throwing flowers at him and bowing down. And Grandpa O who is like a lovely but ornery Irish man. Takes one look at the Harry Krishnas, looks at dad, like looks at the Krishnas again, looks back at dad and says, Son, whatever you do, don't come back like that guy. <laughs> so, <laughs> I didn't come back with a bald head, but I did come back with hair down to my shoulders. But Colorado isn't just where my dad changed his look. It's where he ended up chasing the kinds of experiences that would set his life on a very different path. Those stories, after the break. 
When you think of the kind of vacation getaway you really need this year, the first word that comes to mind is probably escape. And one of the best places to do that is Eureka Springs, Arkansas. In this quirky corner of the state, life moves at a slower pace, and unwinding is the name of the game. The outdoor adventures of the Ozark Mountains are on all sides. Hiking routes overlooking the White River, an epic trail system for mountain bikers, kayaking, stand-up paddleboarding, fly fishing, it's all here. And nowhere else can you get in this kind of play than come back to a town with so much character and soul. The entire downtown of Eureka Springs is a stunning Victorian village that's listed on the National Register of Historic Places. It's an ideal destination for music lovers. There are nightly shows, annual jazz, blues, and bluegrass festivals, and opera, and the country's largest folk festival. Eureka Springs is also a haven for creatives. More than 300 of the local residents are working artists. People say the most curious things when they visit Eureka Springs. Come for yourself and you'll find out why. Learn more at eurekasprings.org. Eureka Springs, Arkansas. Curious indeed. In September of 1971, my dad, a.k.a. Dadoza Boy, Doza, Dado, Mikey O.C., stepped foot in Colorado and on the campus of Colorado State and for the first time felt what he describes as freedom. He met folks from all over the country, was exposed to different attitudes and new ideas, and got deep into that Colorado lifestyle. Everybody just was at that time, you know, it's like grow your hair long because it looks cool. Or that, that was a style. It's also a style of, you know, flannel shirts are in, you know, blue jeans and hiking boots. You know, that was kind of the Colorado look. It was sort of just trying to figure out who you are and, you know, you kind of settle back down eventually. But freshman year was just a, it's like just somebody threw a bucket full of experience, different experiences on you. And you just kind of were showered with that and, and drenched in that. For Doza Boy, that shower was made up of a string of quintessential outdoor adventures that would come to shape him. Especially his ability to laugh at himself and find the humor in the hard stuff. Like the first time he went skiing, wearing blue jeans and a Sunday church jacket. Think overcoat with a fur collar, like something a banker wears to a meeting. I went with these guys, and they were just looking at me like, okay, you're, you're, you suck, you're horrible. And I was like, okay, I get the idea. I'm going to just go down. Um, I, these are a little bit too hard. I'm going to go down myself and, you know, go back on the easy slope, you know, easy runs. And I went down the wrong way. So I start going down and I'm falling all over the place. And then I'm starting to get impatient. And then I'm starting to get pissed. And so I'm going, oh, screw this. This will take me forever to get down. It'll be like, I'll be up on this hill for a week trying to get down these moguls. So basically I'm going down the moguls. I, I hit one mogul. My you know, pull knocks into a mogul and bounces up and hits me in the mouth. And of course, there's blood all over the place. And this little kid, he must have been, maybe he was eight. And he comes up to me, slashes and snow right in my face as he stops. And he goes, what's the matter with you? This is easy. Watch me. And he zips down and I'm going, oh my God, <laughs> I'm going to kill this kid. So I don't know if they actually had sunblock then. 
but you know, that would have been a good idea. My face got fried. I mean, totally fried. And so, I mean, it was like three or four layers of peeling skin for like weeks. And so as I'm sitting, you know, after a day or so, I got the big lip hanging out with the stitches and the, and the peely, you know, skin and everything. Some guy comes up to me and says, you know, I was like, hey, you look like shit. You know, I was like, I was like, how'd you like look like shit? I'll punch you right in the face. And then there are a bunch of stories that all kind of blend into one giant, incredible misadventure, which on the surface are absolutely ridiculous and hilarious. But they also show a young man breaking away from the strict confines and boundaries of his childhood by saying yes to every and any type of adventure. There was a fellow from Canada, and he had a VW bus. We just kind of took off, you know, south in New Mexico, buying my guitar with my student loan money. My suitcase fell off the car someplace in Nebraska. What's for breakfast? Oh, we got granola. It's like granola. What, what's granola? Learning to play guitar a little bit, learning that I actually had a voice, could sing a little bit. Put a little milk on it, you know? It's like cereal. Yeah, but it has, it has nuts. It seems like all it is is nuts. It's like, why would you want to eat gravel? Working at a restaurant, singing behind the salad bar, buying a 1963 Buick with 159,000 miles on it with the leopard skin interior. After we had the granola, we went up a mountain, uh, climbed a little bit, came back down. I think I'll have a little more granola. And I don't even know if we had a tent. Did battle with the fish. Fish won, seven to nothing. Took our pole, our bait, and Dave lost a knife. Went to uh, Georgetown. Before you knew it, somebody took a swing at my friend Bill, all in a flash, grabbing some guy, putting him in a headlock, turning him and flipping him, and we both go flying through the glass uh, of the bar. We pick up some hitchhiker, and the guy says, well, I'm camping in the woods, in the dark, no flashlights, crawling up the hill, trying to find this tree fort. That was my first uh, experience with granola. We saw this horse running on the street, just free. And so we turned around and went to, to warn some other people there was this horse coming up. Well, unfortunately, the VW bus did not see the horse. He smacked the horse, the horse goes down, he goes out to the side, his windshield is cracked up, he's all bleeding, and and we, we say, hey man, are you all right? He goes, did you see this freaking horse? There's a horse out here. <laughs> but not all of my dad's college years were about messing around. During his sophomore year, he found out his mother had cancer. In January of his senior year, his father called and told him it was time to come home to say goodbye. She held on for an excruciatingly long six weeks. We talked about this during another conversation. I think as like a 21-year-old, you know, I was trying to figure out when I was home, like why I wasn't getting more emotional. Uh, and, you know, it, it was just sort of numbing almost. It was, I mean, it was almost like it, it lasted so long. I mean, death is horrible. I still hate hospitals. I, I could still smell it. And, you know, it was just awful. You know, almost didn't want to go visit, which is a horrible thing to say, but... But, you know, she was unconscious by the end. And, you know, I just wanted to be done with it. And I'm sure she did, too. And I wanted to be done with school. So I tried not to think about what had happened, but just concentrate what was in front of my face to get that out of the way. So I was just trying to, you know, sort through it. And I think part of the sorting through was just to ignore it for a little while. His mother's death is not a story my dad tells often really at all. But what I do know about this point in his life leaves me in awe. My dad took incompletes for the semester he missed while he was back home watching his mother slowly die. When he returned to Colorado, 
If he wanted to graduate on time, he had to complete a double course load during his final term at school. I managed to take all the courses and pass and also was working at the restaurant. Managed to get it all done so I could graduate on time. And I, and I knew that she want, would want that and I wanted that. Dedoza Boy says he would have loved to have stayed in Colorado after graduation, but he couldn't make enough money there. So he moved back home to Libertyville, where he tarred roofs all summer and fall, which he describes as the worst job of his entire life. But by January, he had saved up enough money for his post-grad big adventure, backpacking Europe on a $15 a day budget. The trip was his pressure release before starting law school. Amsterdam, Denmark, Germany... Austria, Rome, Paris, London. I also skied. <laughs> Did not kill myself in Switzerland. That was awesome. Meeting all kinds of different people uh, and also getting almost getting choked to death by a, a U.S. Marine. He wanted to show me how he could put me in a chokehold and, and almost make me go unconscious. And he said, do you want me to, you want me to do that? And I said, no, I don't want you to do that. What are you, crazy? And so, of course, I turned around and he, you know, puts me in a chokehold and almost makes me go unconscious. I get off the floor, it's like, in a normal situation, I might take a swing at this guy, but he's surrounded by a bunch of U.S. Marines who are drinking beer, and I don't think that would probably be a good idea. I was in Amsterdam. I started wandering around, and I see a vacancy. And, you know, it's like in a bar. It, it was almost like a cell above the bar with an iron bed and like a little flea bag type of mattress. I'm in the red light district. <laughs> I was like, Jesus Christ. So I come down to the bar and have a, have a drink. Some woman is there and she goes, give me a kiss, sweetie. And I was like, oh my God, I gotta get out of here. I hear this commotion behind me and I turn around and there's this guy with a knife to this woman's throat and immediately packed up and got the hell out of the red light district. Dozer returned home in March with about $2 in his pocket. He had also missed orientation for his first semester at Kent Law School and had less than 24 hours to prepare for his first day of class. But he just figured it out, which is a really great thing because that's where he met my mom. They were locker partners. Yes, lawyers in training get lockers, just like in high school. They got engaged eight months after meeting and married a year and a half later. And even though my brothers were born in 1980 and 81, my dad lived a joyless life until 1984, when I was born. My sister showed up at some point, no one really knows. Ha ha ha, solid burn, I am the best child. Okay, alright. <clears throat> my siblings are great. And as I talked to them about Dedoza Boy's funny stories, we all began to see more meaning in what our dad went through wasn't just a Midwesterner who ran off to the Rockies to have wacky adventures and grow his hair. His stories tell us about the choices he made to become the man he is. And the truth is, the ones who benefited most from his journey are Kitty and Brendan and Sean and me. And it all started with the Harry Krishnas at O'Hare Airport. To me, that story has always been like, it's been about grandpa, right? And it's been about that like one-liner, that great one-liner. I mean, when you think about it, it's really a story about dad. Dad was a pretty brave guy. And so to me, what that story shows is like Doza's just very resilient. And I think that he trusts himself and he trusts himself to be able to get him to where he wants to be. When I've heard it before, I haven't like heard about 
the fear or the anxiety. It was just kind of like, well, this thing is fun. I'm going to go do that. And, to, and, and if it doesn't work out, then that's okay. And I'll figure something else out. Like it's more of like a self-confidence that I see in, in believing in himself. And, and, and honestly, something I've tried to emulate along those lines as well. I just think about, you know, how the interaction reflects on his dad and what kind of person he was and how that sort of taught dad how not to do things or gave him like a foil. You know, the, this kid going to college, sort of knowing nobody, understandably freaked out a little bit and his dad just like busting out a joke and, and giving him no comfort in any way. And dad has done everything he could throughout his life to like make sure that we never felt like that. Like I said, the, the, the shiny beacon of light of how to live your life a lot of the choices that he made and the things that he did, whether that was going to Colorado or whatever, was sort of just to get away. And just because he didn't have any choice to. He wasn't he wasn't really, like, supported in that decision necessarily to have adventure, to, to go push himself and get into a non-comfortable zone. Whereas I think we've always felt, you know, yeah, go for it. Live your dreams. I support you. What parts of dad do you hope live in you? Or what parts do you hope you can live up to? Ooh. Jeez, loaded question. I mean, honestly, all of them. Me kind of being able to keep my cool and make rational decisions in the face of situations that are either scary or require some urgency, especially when it comes to my kids, you know, and, 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 and my wife. I just never feel anything but unconditional support from dad. Compassion is actually empathy plus action. And so I say that dad's compassionate is because he's able to meet you where you are, help you feel your pain, but then also help you drive it forward and, and figure out together how you can how you can make it better. He's just a good dude, man, right? I just see dad as this like guy who just seems to always want to do the right thing <laughs> he always seems to know how to do the right thing it's true i think he's just a deeply honest and straightforward guy but also someone who's just uh who is at his core a very good father i don't know he wants to sing and play the guitar a little bit and eat some chocolate late at night and like that's that's who he is right there's this saying about the irish art of storytelling that i love what we lack in humor, we make up for in repetition. I love my father's stories. I love hearing them over and over again. But the story he'll never tell, at least not directly, is the one where he channeled the same impulse to run west into the energy needed to break a familial chain of anger and emotional vacancy passed from father to child. That was his way of becoming the type of father he never had. The type of father you hope you can be. I don't think I sat down and said, well, you know, my dad did this, so I'm not going to do that. I think it was just the emotions, like when I think of, of kids and wanting to be this more of a connected parent, I think subconsciously, certainly, I wanted that. I wanted to be that because that's what I wanted, I suppose, as a kid. You wanted to have a little bit more of a connection. The emotions of, of seeing your kid and just like, you know, I mean, you just want to go hug them. <laughs> it's, just, it's like this is overpowering feeling of wanting to just like engulf them in your arms and, and be there for them. Always be there for them. Dad, 
Yep. I love you, Dad. Love you, too. That was producer Patio talking with his father, Mike O'Connell, and his siblings, Kitty, Sean, and Brendan. For the record, Patty says their mom is just as amazing as their dad, and he's going to create a piece about her soon. Patty produced this episode, which was edited by me, Michael Roberts. Music by Robbie Carver. This episode was brought to you by Eureka Springs, a one-of-a-kind destination nestled in the Ozark Mountains of Northwest Arkansas. People say the most curious things when they visit Eureka Springs. Come for yourself and you'll find out why. Learn more at eurekasprings.org. Eureka Springs, Arkansas. Curious indeed. Happy Father's Day, everybody.